Welcome to Main Menu for September 4th, 2010. I'm Jamie Pauls. On this week's episode of Main Menu, we visit with ACB Radio Director Larry Turnbull about some exciting changes coming to all aspects of ACB Radio. Next, Chase Crispin updates the technology news of the week in a new feature called Tech Updates. Then, in a Main Menu exclusive, Neil Ewers reviews the new Zoom H1 digital recorder that has almost no menus. That's all coming up on this edition of Main Menu. Well, this week I am pleased to be talking on Main Menu with ACB Radio's director, Larry Turnbull. And Larry, it's a pleasure for me to say welcome to Main Menu. Thanks. Glad to be here. Well, the reason we're talking this week is because I understand we have some exciting changes going on at ACB Radio, and let's talk about those. The most recent change that many are finding out about is we have recently put ACB Radio Interactive on uh, PRS, which is an automation system that currently drives uh, mainstream, cafe, uh, treasure trove, and world. So now we can say that all five streams have been hooked up to PRS. And this is going to allow for several things. One, it's going to make it a lot easier to simulcast with other stations. And this uh, kind of leads me into the other big bit of news for Interactive is we have a uh, cooperative starting between ACB Radio Interactive, uh, the Ride Radio, and the Legend. And what that means is during times that we don't have live programming on Interactive per se, we might actually have live programming that we might be simulcasting with uh, on the Legend if any DJ over there wants to uh, have their show simulcast on uh, ECB Radio Interactive, and we already do have a few DJs that are interested in this. So this is going to be very exciting for us as it's going to bring broadcasters uh, to ACB Radio Interactive and even some broadcasters that were on Interactive uh, some years ago uh, will be coming back. And this is going to work in reverse as well where if any of the other stations, The Legend or The Ride, wish to pull programming from uh, Interactive during the times that they don't have live programming, they're more than welcome to do so. That's excellent. I mean, that's just a great example of when people work together, you know, what can be accomplished. So that's wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. And also, PRS is going to allow for some show replays if the broadcasters opt to have that, because that's another thing. Some broadcasters really feel that uh, having the people there live with them is... uh, their main reason for doing the show, which I can agree with. So some of them have opted not to have their shows replayed. So I, you know, will honor that. But there are some that would uh, wouldn't mind have their shows replayed at a later time for those that might not be able to make the live show at its designated time. That's wonderful. I mean, I can especially see that, like if someone did a documentary or you know a, a real seasonal event, maybe, and uh, and uh, the 
per, you know, people didn't get to listen to it the first time, that would be great to be able to listen to some of that content uh, at, at a later time. So that's excellent. So what kind of website changes? I, I know that you know there are some things in the works and some things you might not want to talk about right now, but uh, what can we maybe expect to see from some web design uh, angle? We're going to be migrating over to a new content manager called Drupal, and that's going to be in effect for the acb.org website as well as the acbradio.org website and we're hoping to have that um, up and running uh, sometime in the fall and that will uh, allow us to keep the content more up to date on a much quicker basis because Drupal definitely allows people to update the content without having to maneuver through a lot of raw HTML or PHP code in order to, you know, update any given web page. And that's uh, going to allow us to give both websites a pretty good makeover where uh, things will be cleaned up and things will be a lot easier to navigate to as far as menu items and that sort of thing. That's very good. And it's, I mean, it's really, that's a hard thing to do. I know as just a real small website owner myself, you know, keeping websites up to date, like you say, is a is a real challenge. Yes, it and, is. Yeah. So that's excellent. Any, anything that can help automate that. Well, I know ACB Radio and ACB Radio Interactive are starting to make a real presence on Twitter. Yes, they are. And we are definitely talking to the uh, listeners out there, letting them know when shows are going to be on. And I'm working with uh, some uh, stuff on the Unix side, which is what the ACB server uh, runs is uh, Ubuntu. And I'm working on some ways to for um, Twitter to be automatically uh, notified of different shows coming on. So, you know, at a certain time, an automatic tweet will go out. I'm experimenting with Curl and uh, a couple other tools to try to automate uh, Twitter. So, um tweets will automatically go out at specific times to let people know when the show will be airing. So if someone was interested in maybe doing some uh, internet radio, what would be a good way to get started and how would they go about maybe looking into getting on uh, ACB Radio Interactive? Well, um, if they have a good collection of music and they really want to give broadcasting a try, um, they can contact me at support at acbradio.org and what I'll do is I'll evaluate them to find out how much uh, they know about uh, different types of broadcast software such as Winamp or Station Playlist and find out how much they know about uh, encoders such as SAM or Oddcast and we'll kind of go from there um, if they already have a good understanding of how these tools work then I will go ahead and audition them, and if they pass the audition, they're, they become part of the um, ACB radio family, and that you know, would depend on whether they want to do a music show. If they want to do a music show, then they'd become part of the interactive team. If they want to do a talk show, then of course they would become um, a member of the mainstream uh, team. And if they're wanting to do some international shows or something like that, then we would look at the world for that. And then I would also 
um, if they really need extra help in trying to understand these tools, then I would try to get them set up with somebody from uh, our current broadcasters to try to help them get a handle on what these tools do and how they're used. You know, that really brings up a good point because there are a lot of internet radio stations out there, but really, ACB Radio, to my knowledge, is the only one with five streams that do separate things. Is that is that correct? As far as I know, yes. Uh, we are we are quite big with uh, five streams, and we've been around now for over, a little over ten years. We've, uh, you know, had our share of different broadcasters coming and going, but we're still very strong, and we have new broadcasters uh, joining us uh, almost, uh, I would say, every few weeks. Uh, I'm already getting ready to audition another person here probably in the next uh, couple of days or so and at looking at adding him to the ACB radio team. That's very exciting. Well, let's move over to mainstream because I know that at the convention you've mentioned um, kind of the partnership with um, the radio reading services. Kind of curious how that's going and how that's going to affect the mainstream side a little bit. Actually, that's going very well. Um, we've already introduced a lot of uh, programs from the radio reading services onto mainstream. There's a kids segment that we have going on on Saturdays and Sundays that uh, has like four different shows. There's uh, Bigler's World, there's the Children's Story Hour, there's uh, Kid Space, and Teen Magazine. And those are all geared towards uh, kids anywhere from, I would say, from uh, five years old all the way up well into their teens. And then we have, um, right after Main Menu, uh, there's a, a Sports Illustrated show that comes on that talks about what's going on in the current issues of Sports Illustrated. Talk to us a little bit about the uh, ACB Radio Cafe. If a person has music that they would like to see put up on there that they have recorded, how do you go about that? What they would do is email me again at support at ecbradio.org and I will uh, direct them on where to upload their music and then I'll uh, evaluate the music and you know check it for sound quality and and that sort of thing and then once I do that then I will go ahead and upload it to the server and schedule it into PRS so that it will start playing on a random basis because the cafe just uh, what it is is it runs in random mode where it just picks random songs out of its database and all I'd have to do is add that song into that database and at any given time that song will be played. Very nice. I suppose it's easy to assume that most people know what Treasure Trove is but we probably shouldn't make that assumption so let's go ahead and talk about that a little bit. Treasure Trove, that is one of our most popular stations. That's old time radio from the 40s in 50s, you get to hear some of those great uh, treasures like the Green Hornet, Shadow, Lone Ranger, um, Dragnet, a lot of great ones. And what I plan to be doing with that one uh, later on is bringing that back in-house to where I can have a little more control over what content is on there and try to bring more of a variety to it. And right now, 
we're just um, running off the feed coming from uh, REN, um, which is the Radio Entertainment Network, I believe. And that, I've noticed uh, sometimes there have been a lot of uh, outages with that, so I feel that uh, bringing that back in-house, we can definitely widen the content on there. And I would welcome any suggestions from any listeners on what shows they might want to hear on Treasure Trove or any stream for that matter. And definitely we'll take a look at those suggestions and see what what can be done about it. I've already gotten suggestions from some listeners about Treasure Trove um, that the ones that do know that I'm bringing it back in the house on what shows they would like to hear on there. So I'm definitely doing some research on that. Now, unfortunately, that's been put a little bit further back on the back burner because coming up um, very soon, you won't see this on the ACB radio front per se, but it's a very important piece. Um, ACB has finally signed a contract with a provider for server co-location. And what that means is we're going to be setting up a backup server so we don't have another incident like we had back in October of 09. Now that's going to, what we're going to do is set up this server and have it mirror what the current server is doing and also use it as a test server for performing upgrades to the operating system and to Apache and a lot of those utilities and if we need to do any maintenance on our current server we'll be able to switch over to that server so we won't have any downtime wonderful well last but not least is ACB radio world and how does world differ from say mainstream or interactive world's mainly geared more towards international programming though we don't have a lot there right now but I'm in the midst of working on getting some more international programming back from places like uh, United Nations Radio uh, try to bring some of their content over the world also if any ACB affiliate wants to uh, broadcast their convention or any special event put on by ACB other than the ACB convention, uh, we put a lot of that on World as well. And of course, the ACB convention itself goes on uh, mainstream as it always has. It's kind of fun to watch the community just be glued to their, well, now their iDevices or their, um, uh, you know, computers or whatever during convention time. And Twitter was a lot of fun this year to really watch what was going on. Yeah, it was, uh, because I was tweeting out things, and a lot of people that were at the convention were tweeting out. So for those that weren't there, they really felt like they were there with everything that was going on. Well, you are a busy man, and I'm really glad that you took the time to visit with us. Is there anything you'd like to add before we turn you loose? Um, the only thing I would say is, like always, um, I'm very happy with uh, the direction that uh, ACB Radio is definitely heading. And if there's anything at all that uh, anybody would like to have uh, aired on ACB Radio, uh, go ahead and drop me a line, and that's support at acbradio.org. 
and we can definitely talk about it and figure out uh, how feasible it is to uh, get that content onto ACB Radio. We've been talking with Larry Turnbull, ACB Radio Director, on Main Menu. Hearing from you, the listener, is very important to us here at Main Menu. You can send us feedback by emailing mainmenu at acbradio.org. That's mainmenu at acbradio.org. Would you like to know what's happening on Main Menu and possibly interact with other listeners as well? To join the Main Menu Friends mailing list, send a blank message to mm-friends-subscribe at acbradio.org. That's mm-friends-subscribe at acbradio.org. To join an announce-only list where you can learn about all of the programming on ACB Radio, send a blank message to announce-subscribe at acbradio.org. That's announce-subscribe at acbradio.org. If you would like to interact with other ACB Radio listeners, send a blank message to friends-subscribe at acbradio.org. That's friends-subscribe at acbradio.org. You can follow Main Menu on Twitter by visiting www.twitter.com slash mainmenu. That's www.twitter.com slash mainmenu. Finally, you can call the Main Menu comment line at 206-339-0954. That's 206-339-0954. Tech Update, a technology news segment heard exclusively on ACB Radio's main menu. Hello everybody, this is Chase Crispin introducing a brand new main menu segment known as Tech Update. Tech Update will be on main menu nearly every week and will give the latest news in technology that blind people can use. Not only will this be assistive technology, but it can also be mainstream technology that works for blind people. There is a good possibility that I might miss something while recording, so if there is something I missed or something you think I might be putting in next week's segment, but you want to make sure it gets in, you can call the comment line number provided at the end of the segment and leave a comment, which I will check and make sure what you have suggested makes it into next week's segment. This segment will usually be about five minutes in length and will not take over any part of main menu that you may have contributed. Both the intro and the outro music you heard are the music beds by Andre Louis, mixed with my voice in the studio recorder software from the American Printing House for the Blind. Now I'll go ahead and get started with the technology news as there's quite a bit to cover. Also note that being this is a pre-recorded show, not just the segment but the entire main menu show, Things need to be recorded a short while before they are broadcast on ACB Radio Mainstream for all of you to listen to. Because of this, this show is being recorded a few days before it is aired. So this news, by the time you hear it, may be a week and a half old or so. Still, the news should be, for the most part, accurate and still may benefit you in some way. Accessible Games today has moved to a new home and is offering some specials on its games, you can get any one of 10 games for now just $9.99. Visit the Accessible Games Today website at gamesforblind.com, G-A-M-E-S-F-O-R-B-L-I-N-D.com to learn more. The NFB has just updated their usable 
consumer electronics list, providing information on mainstream technology, for example, DVD players, TVs, dishwashers, and clothes washers that are accessible by blind people. This list will tell you the model number of that item and how it is accessible so that you can make accessible choices when buying your new living appliances. Visit nfb.org to learn more. The iPhone and iPod Touch from Apple have a new update available that is OS version 4.02, which fixes a major security problem found by Apple. Though there is no new features in this update, it is still important to install for your security. This update may not be showing up automatically, so connect your iPod or iPhone to iTunes and go to the Info tab and choose Check for Updates. Note that this is only for the iPod Touch and iPhone. On the subject of Apple, Apple has released a new device called the Magic Trackpad, which can be had for about $69 or somewhere in that range, and it'll hook up to a older Mac laptop or Mac desktop, such as an iMac, Mac Pro, or Mac Mini, to give you the function of the multi-touch trackpads found on the MacBook and MacBook Pro. This means, for us voiceover users, that all the functions that you would use as voiceover on the iPod Touch, iPhone, and iPad can be had on the desktop Mac with this magic trackpad. For example, if you were in Safari, you could use the rotor gesture to select headings and flick down to move from heading to heading, just as you would do on the iPhone, iPod Touch, or iPad. In some ways, this makes navigation on your Mac easier if you're willing to pay the $69 price. Visit apple.com to learn more or order yours today. GW Micro, makers of the very popular Window Eyes screen reader, have recently released an important update known as Window Eyes 7.2 Refresh. This re Window Eyes 7.2 Refresh is a free update, does not cost any of your SMAs, and is now available from GW Micro. You can either automatically update Window Eyes to this version, or install the refreshed copy of Window Eyes over your existing copy of Window Eyes. This copy of Window Eyes includes many bug fixes that users have reported. Be sure to check out gwmicro.com to download the new refresh or just to see what's new. The American Printing House for the Blind, APH, has just released new drivers for its popular portable 18-cell Braille display, the Refresher Braille 18, which allow the Refresher Braille to work with JAWS 11.0 and above. The wait in this was due to Freedom Scientific's signed driver initiative which caused APH to have to negotiate with Freedom Scientific to have their driver signed. Visit aph.org slash tech, aph.org slash t-e-c-h to learn more about these drivers and install them. These are completely different drivers than the drivers you may already have installed. There is now a new mailing list called DTB Players for the discussion and comparison of the newer digital talking book players such as the Victor Reader Stream, BookSense Book and BookPort Plus, the older DTB readers such as the original Book Courier and BookPort, as well as other devices that play specialized digital talking books such as the various note takers. To subscribe, send a blank email to dtbplayers plus subscribe at googlegroups.com.
This will conclude this week's tech update section. Be sure to call the comment line number provided at the end to make sure whatever you would like to see in next week's segment is added. Thank you for listening to this week's tech update segment. If you have any comments about this part of the show or you would like to suggest anything to be added next week, please call 206-337-4383 and be sure to tune in to next week's edition of Main Menu. Hello everyone, this is Neil Ewers for Main Menu, and this is a review of the Zoom H1 recorder. Just received it yesterday. The cost is $99, and its claim to fame is, it has no menus. Interestingly enough, I'm not using the H1 at this point, because what Zoom says is that the H1 has the same electronics as the H2. Well, What better way to find that out than to start out with the H2 and then switch to the H1, which is exactly what we're going to do now. This is the H2. I'm about 7-8 inches from this microphone in a very quiet room. And now this is the H1. And this is the Zoom H1 recorder, coming to you from the same quiet room. One note about this recording You hear me in a very quiet room, and so you hear a lot of hiss, microphone noise, maybe some floor noise, etc. And so you say, this sounds like a really noisy recorder. Well, it's not. Relative to others, it is quite quiet. It's not the quietest, but it's certainly not the most noisy. You hear the noise because there's nothing else to mask it out. If you were out, even in another part of my house where there was some ambient noise, it would start to mask the noise of the recorder. And if that ambient noise is loud enough, you don't hear the noise at all. Here, that's all you do hear, because that's all there is besides my speaking. So you might think, whoa, I don't want to buy this recorder because it's too noisy. Well, you'll have ample opportunity, I think, to discover that it's quite quiet, actually. Okay, so this has been a comparison of the Zoom H2 and the Zoom H1, and before we're done, we'll do another comparison between these recorders. But for now, on to something else. Okay, I'm in a different part of my house now. Pretty echoey. I'm using a windscreen, so I'm close talking a little more. I'm probably four inches away from the mics. What comes in the box? It's pretty simple. A recorder, a AA battery, a manual, very tiny manual, and a micro SDHC card. That's it. No windscreen, no case, no strap. It is $99 after all. You can purchase for about $20 US a box of accessories which comes with a windscreen, a carrying case, very nice one as a matter of fact, a USB cable, an AC adapter, the stick that normally comes with the zoom recorders to allow you to put it on a stand, and a tripod. Alright, description. It's 136 millimeters long, 44 millimeters wide, and 31 millimeters thick. So that comes out roughly, according to my ruler, maybe 5 inches long, about 1 and 3 quarter inches wide, and about 3 quarters of an inch deep. The microphones are at the end of the recorder. It's longer than it is wide or deep. So you actually talk into the end of the recorder, 
rather than the side of the recorder like you did on the H2. It's much like the H4N, the H4, the Sony, PCMD50. The microphones are on the end of the recorder, pointing to the right and left at a 45 degree angle, giving you a maximum of 90 degrees. The microphones have a plastic protection around them. It's basically three wires that are in an oval shape across the top of the recorder with some connecting wires that connect them together. And the microphones are underneath those wires. You can certainly feel them. This isn't a mesh like it was on the H2. The microphones are offset one above the other, pointing in at the 45 degree angle. The focus of the microphone on the top is between wires 1 and 2, and the focus of the microphone on the bottom is between wires 2 and 3. So it's not facing directly one of those protective wires, it's sort of going between them. It doesn't stick out between them, but the sound comes in without being impeded by first running into those wires. I want to make a very quick pass through the layout of this recorder so that people who are just getting it can quickly find all the buttons. And then I want to go back through each of them and talk a little more about them. If you have the recorder facing you so that the big round button, the record button in the middle of the front is toward you, the microphones are at the top and the speaker is at the bottom. Below the microphones is the display. Below the display is the big round record button and that's all there is on the front. On the right hand side, at the top near the microphones, is the input jack for mic in and line in. Below that are the two volume buttons for manual record level up being closer to the jack and down being further away. Below those buttons you have the transport buttons, the play-pause button in the middle. Above that toward the microphones is the forward button and below the play button is the back button. Below those buttons is the file erase button, below that is the on-off and lock switch, and below that is the USB port. On the left hand side of the recorder there is the headphone jack at the top near the mics, the up and down volumes for that jack, and the card slot door. On the back of the units there are three buttons near the top of the recorder. If you're facing the front of the recorder feeling around to the back, on the right hand side is the low cut filter. Down is off and up is on and that's true of all the buttons. In the middle is the automatic gain button and on the left hand side over here is the record format button where you can change the sampling rate and the bit rate. Below those buttons is the threaded ring that allows you to mount the recorder on a stand. And below that is the battery compartment. On the bottom is a speaker, small but there. Now let's go through these controls in a little more detail. Right below the microphones, on the flat part of the front of the recorder, is the display, which is about the same size as that on the Zoom H2. Below that is one big round button, which is the record button. Record and stop button. Mm, yeah, I was afraid of that. And that's the only button on the front of the recorder. Now this is tricky. When you first turn the recorder on, you are in record standby. You can monitor through headphones and hear exactly what the microphones are picking up. So if you press the record button, it is going to go into record, and you've only pressed it once. Press it again, you go back into stop or record standby, and again you can hear 
what's happening in the mics. Press it again, you're in record. Press it again, you're back in record standby. So it can be a bit tricky. The way out of this, though, is that if you press play, well, if you press play while you're in record, it does nothing that you hear, but it does put a mark on the file such that Studio Recorder, SoundForge, and other professional software recorders will see that mark. But if you're in record standby and you press play, you start playing a file. And you can arrow back and forth with the forward and back buttons, which we'll get to later. Now let's talk about the right-hand side of the recorder. By the way, I have bass roll-off turned to the on position, so there should be less bass than there might be. At the top of the right-hand side, closest to the microphones, is the microphone-in line-in jack, a 1 8 mini jack, stereo. Below that are a series of buttons. The first pair is the up and down volume for manual record. And you can manual record on this recorder. It has auto gain, but if you're manually recording, these are the buttons you would use for raising and lowering the volume. It defaults to volume 50 out of 100, and that's what I'm using now, although for the most part I'll be normalizing the files in this podcast just because they'll be the same level as some of your other sounds. There will be a few times when I won't, and I'll tell you why, and I'll tell you when I do it. So they're the up and down buttons. Then below them are three buttons, the middle of which is the play button, the one above the play button toward the microphones is the forward wind, or skip, and the one below the play button is the backwards wind, or skip. They work like most other buttons of this nature. Hold them down and they skip through the file a little bit at a time. Press them and let them go, and they go to either the previous or next file. Below those buttons, the refrigerator is now on, I'm in the kitchen, is the file delete button. Now this is really kind of nice because if you press the erase button while you're playing a file, the file stops playing and I'm sure the screen says do you want to really erase, but you don't see that necessarily. So you press the record button and the file's gone. It's very quick, but you really don't get a second chance. Of course I guess you could turn the recorder off if you wanted to. Below that is the on-off switch, and this works just like the Olympus recorders and the Zoom H4n and lots of other recorders. It's a spring-loaded button. You hold down on it for a second or so, let it go, and the recorder comes on in five seconds or so. Now that might depend on how big a card you have, but I have the two-gig card that comes with the unit. Push that button up until it clicks, and you've locked the recorder so that no buttons work. Pull it down and hold it for another second or so, and the recorder turns itself off. And below that is the USB jack. Their implementation of USB is interesting, and actually kind of nice. If the unit is off, and you plug in the USB to the computer and to the unit, it will turn itself on and become a storage device, and so you can copy files to and from the recorder and the computer. During that time, you can't use any of the buttons on the recorder. However, if you have the unit already on when you plug it into your computer, you're now powering the unit through the USB connection from your computer. I know this because I've done it without the battery in it. 
you can actually turn your computer off, plug the unit in, hold down the on switch to turn it on, it will come on, and it will be using USB power as long as your computer is one of those that provides power even when it's off. So it's a rather interesting use of USB to allow your recorder to be used as a storage device, but to have the USB provide power to the recorder as well. On the left-hand side, at the top near the microphones, is the headphone jack, and below that are the up and down volumes for that jack, up on top, toward the microphones, and down below, away from the microphones. Below that is the card slot. If you turn the recorder so that the microphones are pointing toward your left, and you're looking at the left-hand side of the recorder, there's a little door. It's actually not a door. You pull up on it with your thumb from the bottom, and it opens, and it's a plastic piece that is attached to the recorder by a little plastic string. So it just sort of spins around and flops around and gets out of your way. At the top of that pretty wide opening there, most of which is not really open, it's just sort of indented, but there is a slit that you can feel that's at the very top of that opening, the slot being closer to the button side of the recorder, the front side, than the back side. You hold the card so that the lip on the end of the card is toward you and is pointing up, and the right-hand side has the little ridges on it. You slide the card in and depress it, and it clicks. When you want to take it out, you press it in, it pops out a little bit, and you take it out the rest of the way. And then you can close the door by bringing the little plastic piece around and putting it in the right place and pressing it, and now it's flat against the side of the recorder. And that's the only thing on the left side of the recorder. The bottom of the recorder has a speaker. It's not a very big speaker because the bottom's not very big, but it's pretty good. It does at least allow you to know that things have been recorded, and that is what the Zoom H2 missed, and this one fortunately has one. The back of the recorder is interesting. Here's where you get your controls for operating things that you don't operate in menus. I'm holding the recorder sort of 45 degree angle pointing up to me. The mics are 45 degree angle pointing up at me, and my fingers wrap around to the back of the recorder. So imagine that you're looking at the recorder, um, microphone over here is to the left, microphone over there is to the right, and your fingers are on the back of the recorder. Near the right hand side of the recorder, at the top, right below the microphones, is a button. There are actually three buttons. The first one is the low-cut filter. Down is always off, up is always on, on these three buttons. The middle button is the automatic gain control. Now, what I'm going to do is stop normalizing the next part of this file and let you hear what it sounds like when you record a file at volume 50, and then I'm going to turn on the auto gain. So this is volume 50. This is the volume I get. Now let's turn on auto gain. Yes, I have email, and you can see it automatically went to the top of the volume. This is about what you'd get if you were at 100 on the volume scale. And if I talk louder, it's okay for a while. It's still way up there. And if I yell really loudly, it turns it down. 
and you see how long it took to have it come up again. And if I blow into it, now be careful, I'm going to make a blowing noise and I don't want to wreck your speakers. Once again, it stays down for a while and you talk, and all of a sudden, when it makes up its mind to, or when it hears another sound, like if I walk in here toward the refrigerator, see, it just heard the refrigerator. It said, ah, I have to center on it now. He stopped talking. I need to hear the refrigerator as loudly as I heard his voice. Not a very good automatic gain control, in my opinion. So, we go back to gain off, normalization zero. The third button, the one furthest to the left, to the left microphone, is what you use to control record format. Bit rate, sampling rate, etc. Down, off rather, is PCM WAV. Up is MP3. How do you change with no menus between your bit rates, sampling rates on 44.1 or 48 or 96 or 24-bit or 16-bit, etc., and how do you change the kbps rates on mp3 files? You do that by being in record standby and pressing the forward and back buttons. If you press the forward or back button, let's say you're in PCM WAV, you press the forward and rewind buttons and you arrow through 44.1.16, 44.1.24, 4824, all the way up to 96, 16, and 96, 24 bit. And then, guess what? You circle back around again to 44.116 bit. So you could accidentally, given that these buttons are as small as they are, press the wrong button at the wrong time and be in a totally different format. Same thing happens with MP3. Simply push the button up to MP3, and now you arrow through your KBPS rates with the forward and backwards arrows. And again, you wrap. So this could be a bit of a problem in that you could accidentally do that if you weren't careful. Below those three buttons on the back is a threaded ring for mounting on a camera tripod. It's not your typical microphone mount. It's the same you have on the Zoom H2, the H4, the H4n, the Sony PCMD50. It mounts on a camera tripod and they actually in their pack of accessories, which you buy separately, you get a little tripod that sort of works. And the only thing on the back below that is the battery compartment. And it is on the left as I face the front of the recorder. But if you turn the recorder to the right so that the microphones are facing the right and you lay it on its front with the buttons down, Toward you, on the bottom half of the recorder, is the battery compartment. There's a little finger grabber place that you can put your finger in, slide the battery cover toward you, it comes off, and there's one AA battery. Slide the cover back on, and you've covered up the battery slot. Now there's one thing I need to mention about the micro SD card. The recorder will operate for 25 seconds, even without a card. That's kind of nice for setting up the recorder and getting your mic suggested, etc. But it could be a problem if you think you have a card in there. So if you've taken out your card and you've forgotten you've done that and you put it in record, normally most recorders aren't going to do anything but sit there and say, hey, you don't have a card there. 
This one will record for 25 seconds and then stop. So make sure you've got a card in and you'll avoid that problem. One more item before we go on further. The H1 is touted as having no menus, and it doesn't, except for a couple of what I would call mini-menus. For example, setting the time. There's no visible clock on the unit, but the recorder does timestamp the files if you set the clock. In order to do that, you hold down the record button while you turn the recorder on, and you're taken to the clock settings, which of course are totally visual, and you'll probably have to have someone help you do that. The only other instance of a sort of quasi-menu item is how you format the card. In order to do this, hold down the Erase button while turning on the recorder, and a format menu appears. I'm sure it says, do you want to format? And you simply press the Record button, and it goes ahead and does it. doesn't give you a second chance, it just wipes out the card. If you have your headphones plugged in while you're formatting the card, once the format concludes, you'll be taken back to record standby, and you'll once again be able to hear the sound coming through the mics. But those are the only two instances of where you need to do something that you can't do physically on the recorder. Alright, I believe that's all we need to say about recorder functions and what they do. Now let's go have some fun. Well, thank you. I, I put an order in for those vehicles to go by. Right, of course I did. But at least you get some idea of spread. As I was about to say, 90 degrees is not a lot. Um, it is mono-compatible, but it is not something that you're going to hear really way over to the right and really way over to the left. You'll, you'll be able to tell. And certainly with those cars and that, motor, that car and that motorcycle, you could. But other microphone arrangements have a bit more spread. And I think it's time for me to oil the door. For me to go back inside and slam the doors. Ah, yes. I'm going to turn this down to uh, volume 50 now. And see how that was. I'm making a big deal, evidently, about recording at volume 50. If I were to record at volume 50, or some volume that would keep most things from being distorted, the loud sounds would be really loud, and the low sounds would be way down there in the volume spectrum. What I'm trying to show you when I go down to volume 50 is that it's a pretty good volume to record at, in that when I close a door or make any loud noise, more often than not, the loud sound doesn't distort. It is at zero or close to zero, and of course, if I made louder noises, I could distort. But 50 is a pretty good volume to record without peaking the meters. So that's why sometimes I want to not normalize the file, so you can hear what it sounds like recorded at volume 50, and what kind of meter readings I get. One thing to consider, though, is that the Zoom H2 had manual level control, but with its manual level control, you also had a limiter. You had a compressor that would do what this does, and that is just jack the whole thing up and 
and auto record and whatever but you could do manual record and you could have a limiter so you could actually turn the gain up a ways knowing that really high sounds were going to get turned down by the limiter you can't do that here because once you go out of automatic level control there is no limiter it's just pure manual record and if you distort you distort and 50 in the middle of the volume spectrum is probably a pretty good place to be one of the criticisms of the Zoom H2 was that while its internal microphones were very nice, recording with external microphones could be really noisy. So let's give that a try. I'm going to start with a microphone that's very hard to record on a lot of recorders because it's a very low output mic. It's my Electrovoice RE635, which on the Sony PCMD50 is quite quiet. It's a little less quiet on the Zoom H4n. On the Zoom H2 it's awful. Let's see what it's like on the Zoom H1. And this is the Electrovoice RE635 microphone. I actually have the zoom on auto gain because that will take it to the top of the scale, which is where this microphone needs to be anyway. And as you can hear, it's quite noisy. Now, there are others that might work better. Let's try something else. This is the Radio Shack over-the-head microphone that I often use to test recorders. It requires plug-in power, so obviously this recorder has that. Give you a bit of time to listen to noise. This is a not totally quiet mic, but it's pretty quiet relative to some. I'm still on volume 50, so this volume might be a good overall average place to be. And these are the sound professionals in-ear microphones, a set of mics that I know a number of people have. I need to wash up a couple dishes here, or just rinse them off. Let's see how this sounds in the process. These are pretty inexpensive mics. They actually fit in your ears. These are the dishwasher. As opposed to on the outside of your ears, so they're a bit more binaural than quasi-binaural. Wash out my cereal bowl. Put it over here on the counter. I've got the plate. Put it over here. And there's some garbage here, so I get to run the garbage disposal. It's a pretty new quiet garbage disposal, so it may not make that much noise. Here's some. Well, that's not how you're really supposed to do that, but I thought it would sound good. Let's see, what else can I do? I can go out and open the garage door. bit of oil required, you think? And it's windy out here as I step outside. No traffic coming. So not really anything to record in a stereo spectrum. By the way, I'm still on volume 50. Turning around, going back inside. That seems to be a good place to be. I'm using my DPA microphones at the moment, and I'm very muffled. 
because I'm in the middle of them, which is where you are when you wear binaural headphones. I was playing around with the floor noise of this recorder and was very surprised to discover that at 44.1 sampling rate 24-bit, the floor noise was at or below minus 90 dB when I turned the recorder down to, one, to volume 1. It still records at volume 1. In fact, that's what I'm recording on now. And I'm going to normalize these mics and this recording to zero and see if I pick up a lot of floor noise on the way up. These are the DPA microphones on the Zoom H1 at volume 1. Let's listen to noise. You can hear my wife downstairs reading a book on tape. But these are quite quiet. The only noise you hear is that of the microphones themselves. And I've actually recorded some very loud sounds into this mic, equal to recording a train. And by George, it works on this recorder. And these are the same microphones, the Danish Pro Audio microphones, very nice microphones, recording on the Edirol R09HR at its lowest volume. Wow, that's amazing. It could very well be that the Zoom H1 is not very good at low volume mics, but for mics like this, which are very high volume, maybe it works much better than the Edirol. I've actually used the Edirol. Now, the Edirol is not the quietest recorder I have by far. But I've used it, actually, to record loud sounds like trains with these microphones. Because by the time you get a train going through, you don't really hear the, the hissing noise. But there is some. A whole lot more, evidently, than there is on the Zoom. And by the way, I'm recording both these samples in 44.1 24-bit. Wow. That's amazing. Night crickets recorded from my front porch on the Zoom H1. You knew this was going to happen. It had to happen. The ultimate battle between the H1 and the H2. A little bit of music. Mr. Mannheim Steamroller, I don't think you'll mind. First on the H2 and then on the H1. Which do you like the best? that is interesting indeed. I kind of expected that the H2 wouldn't have as good a stereo spread as the H1 because of the way the microphones are housed in that grill work with a plastic piece on either side, which in my opinion has kept the H2 from having the kind of stereo spread I think it should have. But I didn't expect the microphones to sound that different, unless the cage of the H2 is actually impeding the upper frequencies. Boy, there's really quite a difference. I'm not going to comment further because you probably have your own opinions. Well, I think it's time to wrap up. 
with a few closing thoughts. One of the things I haven't mentioned on this podcast is that you can do line-in recordings. Even though there's no line-in jack on this recorder, the volume control will go low enough that you can in fact do line-in recordings. I actually recorded from a nominal line-out source with the volume at zero, and I was probably at minus 15, so I could have upped that some and still been well within range. So it is possible to record line-in by simply turning down the volume. Too bad the controls are so hard to deal with. You can do it, but boy, they are tiny. And that's another thing. All the buttons on the side of the recorder, the play, the backwards, the forward, they're all very tiny. Unlike the Olympus, which has some pretty small buttons as well, and their buttons are extruded out of the case of the recorder, the zoom buttons are sort of flush with the surface of the case, and when you press them, they go in. And if your finger is wide enough like mine is, you can't get them in very far. So it's really hard to press them and a little bit difficult to find. However, I'm discovering I'm getting more used to it, and I think people will. It's just a matter of what you have to get used to, and I think it's doable, although they are very tiny. There is not, unfortunately, a way to pause a file without ending the file. There is record and stop, and there's no pause, which is too bad. That would have been nice. I don't think there's one on the H2 either, actually. You do get a fair amount of handling noise with this recorder, as you do with the H2 as well. So one has to keep that in mind. It is just obviously plastic, and there's been not a whole lot of attempt made to make it feel like the world's greatest feeling recorder, which for $99, well, that's what you'd think. Overall, I'd have to say I like it. It's a nice little recorder for $99, and for that price, I'm not sure, well, yes, I am sure, I don't think you can do any better. Whether you like it or not is one thing. Whether you can do any better for $99, in my opinion, I don't think you can. So, this is the H1 being put through some of its paces. We could probably do a lot more, but time is waning and it's time for us to leave. Thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you want to get in touch with me, my email address is neil, N-E-A-L, dot ewers, E-W-E-R-S, at ravenswood, R-A-V-E-N-S-W-O-O-D, dot org. Thanks for listening. We'll likely meet again soon. That concludes this edition of Main Menu. We trust you've enjoyed the program. On behalf of the entire Main Menu team, I'm Jamie Pauls wishing you and yours a great week.